This episode of Sacktown Talks is brought to you by Elk Grove Power Sports, California's premier recreational vehicle dealership. Elk Grove Power Sports offers quality and attractive pricing for motorcycles, scooters, ATVs, utility vehicles, snowmobiles, and watercraft from brands you know and trust. Stop daydreaming about that recreational vehicle you've had your eye on and visit their showroom today. Elk Grove Power Sports is conveniently located off the Grant Line Road exit off the 99. More information online at elkgrovepowersports.com. Don't forget to tell them, Gibraltar. I also wanted to tell you about Dr. Ethan Bregman with Sacramento Counseling and Sports Psychology. Dr. Ethan Bregman works to help individuals, athletes, coaches, and their supporters be the best they can be in both sport and life. Dr. Bregman helps athletes of all levels improve focus, manage emotions, balance commitments, and return to sport from injury. He also offers mental skills for athletes seminars to assist teams in learning to incorporate mental skills into their practice. If you are ready to take the game to the next level, give him a call at 916-880-8079 for consultation. Again, that's 916-880-8079. Don't forget to tell him to Bronson. This podcast is also brought to you by East Sac BJJ, Sacramento's newest Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Academy where we believe in jiu-jitsu for everybody. Whether you're a beginner or an expert-level practitioner, there's a place for everyone at ESAC BJJ. Check out our website at esacbjj.com, sign up for a free trial, and get on the mat today. You'll learn valuable skills for self-defense, make new friends, and get in shape too. So I'll see you there. In five, four, three, two, one. What's up? We're back with Sacktown Talks after a little bit of a layoff. Actually, I'm going to put you on both both the podcasts are going to be one of my rare crossovers. Cool. And then one of the only other ones was like Uriah Favor. So, I'm so you're special. in good company. <laughs> um, uh, so everyone, this is this is my friend Joy Pendle. Uh, you're um, of Pendle Apiaries. Pendle Apiaries. Pen- Pendle Apiaries. You guys have your honey like at the co-op and stuff or like? No, we don't sell anywhere in Sacramento and we need to change that. We sell from Redding down to Stockton, but um, just, yeah, not in Sacramento. You just skip the city of trees, huh? We skip Sacramento. Okay. I don't know why. No, that's all good. That's all fine. The The main business is selling queens. Correct. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, we so are commercial queen breeders. Okay. And then so you just have the honey as a byproduct. Yeah. So Stonyford is a pretty dry climate, so the honey flow isn't really reliable. The years we do get it, it's really nice, um, but there's been years we don't get any sort of a honey flow at all, so we could not be honey farmers. Wait, what? Like so, there. Wait, okay. So the climate dictates the honey flow. It's too. I've never heard that term either. Honey yeah, flow. Yeah, it's too dry in Stony Ford. So to like reliably get honey. Yeah. So if the flowers all dry up, then there's nothing for the bees to forage on, and then we wouldn't we wouldn't get a, a honey crop. Wait. So I thought honey was like a. Oh my god! I know so little. I thought honey was like a bee byproduct. So the bees go get nectar from the flowers, and then they make honey from the nectar. Okay, what are they making the honey for for themselves? Like do to they store, eat? to store it. So what they what they is do that their food? Or? Yeah. So what they do with the nectar is they they put it in their honey stomach. They bring it back to the beehive. They take it out of their honey stomach and put it back into the comb. And in that process, it gets some enzymes mixed in, mixed into the nectar. And then the nectar, um, the sugars start to be broken down into other sugars, and they um, it, it gets dehydrated. The bees uh, basically buzz their wings and create like this ventilation system throughout the beehive, and, and it it um, evaporates uh, the nectar somewhat. And it, but it's also like chemically changing. The the sugars are changing from nectar into honey. 
That's crazy. Yeah. And, and they eat the honey later on? Or yes. So nectar wouldn't store very well. It would spoil because it's... Um, I heard it's, honey doesn't go bad. Honey does not go bad. That's correct. So nectar would go bad, but honey wouldn't because nectar has a higher moisture content and honey has a lower moisture content. And so honey is super stable. So that's why they change the nectar into honey and then they just store it for forever. Well, boom. There you there you had it, folks. That's, I like, that's actually the end of the episode. That's all you need to do. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that's super interesting. Hey, so when you... um. Yeah, and we of course know each other through jujitsu, yeah. uh, so we'll we'll get into that as well. You're my first friend in jujitsu. I'm the first friend in jujitsu. You, yep. you guys want to hear that? I don't want anybody else claiming her. <laughs> um, and um, you, you know, one of the one of the things that that you did for your little friend group, which I thought was just fascinating, was you said, "Hey, you know, you city slickers, you guys want to come on up to the farm and see how we live up here." Um, and it was just fascinating. So for folks that don't know, Stony Ford is. What was it, like an hour, an hour and a half kind of northwest of here? Two. two it's two hours north for normal people. It's about an hour and 45 for me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's north of Sacramento. So you go right up I-5, you hit Willows, and then you take a left. Willows or Maxwell. Take a left and go out into the mountains 45 minutes. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. And um, God, what a, just, what a different way in life, right? Yep. Yeah, I'm very different. So we were gonna watch the uh, we were gonna watch the fights over at your house last Saturday. Yes, and you had to just send us like a like a quick message, like, "Hey, I'm sorry, you know, shit's hit the fan, like we're on fire." Yeah, um, I gotta go and defend the family homestead. So what happened is Clear Lake had a big fire. Is the ranch fire on one end of Clear Lake and the river fire on the other? Is that the Mendocino complex fires Pe- like together? Yeah, people are referring to the the whole of those two fires as the Mendocino complex fire. So which is now the biggest in state history, but yes. So yeah. the ranch fire, which is the more northern part of that fire, ended up traveling um, all the way across the forest from Clear Lake to Stony Ford, and. Uh, because we're we're just north we're northeast of Clear Lake and just so. burn the whole forest down. Yes, pretty much. So I knew that the fire was progressing towards us, but I just I didn't realize how close it was getting. And then yeah, my dad calls me. I mean, he had warned me that it was getting closer and closer, and I was like, well, you know, just keep me posted. And then yeah, about four four o'clock on Saturday. He calls me and it's like, you got to come home. It's like upon us. And so, yeah, I had to cancel with everybody, which I felt really bad about because I feel very flaky canceling on everyone. Um, I think we all understood. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's a legit excuse. Uh, my parents' house is about to burn up. But um, hey, the ranch, the bees, like it's all going to go. Yes, everyone's about to get It's all going to go. We got to go. But, uh, but yeah, I had to cancel and then run up there. And uh, and then we just started fire prep from there, which is a ton of work. What does that process consist of? So basically clearing all the shrub away from the house. Uh, there's there's trees and shrubs that we, you know, had to prune everything. There was a, a tree that was kind of dying right by the house. So we need to pull that down. Um, basically, it's it's if the fire actually sweeps right through, you you want your property to be defensible. You want to be able to either defend it yourself or if Cal Fire is feeling generous enough and has the resources that they'll help defend your home. But um, any anything, any tall, burnable trees near your home need to come down. Like we have a very um, a, a nice apricot tree by the house, but it's it's like fully green right now. So we didn't cut that down. But the one we did chop down was like half dying. So what does that mean? Fully green. It won't burn. Oh, just it's green. It's uh, like I mean exactly what it sounds like. Like it's just it's completely green. It's not like fall time where it's starting to, you know, like if it was if it was further into the fall and it was starting to get 
Um, like, like the bare. yeah, like the leaves were starting to fall off, then it, I think it'd be a little more susceptible. So like green leaves will keep something from burning. I mean, I'm no fireman, but yeah, I think so. Yeah. Like, so I, I really, I don't know. Yeah, I, it's gonna I, be I less likely for something green to burn than than uh, something that's starting to dry up or go brown for any reason, whether it's the fall or just lack or of watering. Bark beetle or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Got it. But I know um, bark beetle. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and then the other thing we did was uh, take, you know, dozers. And when I say we, I mean Tim <laughs> took a dozer and cut big old fire lines around the ranch um, and uh, pull out the generators because the power is going to get cut right before a fire hits. Um, PG&E was everywhere ready to, you know, cut the power off. Um, so generators had to come out for backup power to run pumps. We had pumps set up, water tanks filled up, sprinkler systems out on the in the yard, um, fire hoses. We had a bunch of, you know, we have a bunch like of fire. high pressure fire hoses. Yeah, had a bunch of those set up. So, yeah, just getting ready to literally play our own firefighters. If the did you fire. all have like a drill for this, or just kind of ad hoc this improvise? So or? in 2012, we had a big fire that hit Stone or didn't hit Stony Ford, but it came right up to Stony Ford. I forget the name of that fire, but um, so we kind of we kind of were already prepared from the experience in 2012. I'm listening. Um. And it's a great thing that that fire happened because the ranch fire ended up hitting the old burn from 2012. And, uh, and that's actually what caused it to stop. If, if that hadn't already previously burned, that fire would have definitely come right up to the town limits. It was, um, it was the mill fire. Mill fire. There you go. Yep. That sounds familiar. So the 2012 mill fire came by, burned everything. Yes. And that was actually your defense for... Yes, this time around. Yep, okay. if it hadn't been for the mill fire, I mean, that fire might have swept right into the town. We, I mean, it could, we could have lost the whole town. Wow. It's a small town and you know, um, Cal Fire... It's literally like a one-stop sign town, Yes, right? 250 like, people. And Cal Fire just doesn't have the resources right now. I mean, they have a car fire going and, um, you know, they lost, wait, 800 homes in Clear Lake? Is that right? They lost a ton of homes. Um yeah, it's so that, you know, the resources that they would spend to defend our tiny little town would not have been much. So it's a good thing for that, for the mill fire. So what was going through your mind? Like when, you know, when you were showing, when you're showing these scenes of, of what you're going through on Instagram, it looked like apocalyptic almost, honestly. Yeah, a little stressful. Um, stressful, like fear for your life? No, I'm not fear for my life. I mean, um, I don't think it would really come to that. I mean, you know, you always have a vehicle and you can always just kind of bounce. Yeah. Um, but definitely fearing for... Well, but some people some people do get just like engulfed by it. Like we're just kind of just, oh, fuck, the wind turned. Like it's all around us now. Right. Oops. Yeah. I mean, that Oops. does happen, right? Yeah, for sure. Well, we're not in trees. So our ranch actually served as an old lumber mill way back. Got it. Um, and uh, our whole property, we have about 250 or 200 acres. Yeah, a little over 200 acres. And it's almost totally cleared. So we have just like grass fields all around my parents' house. So this is, you know, this is a forest fire. And once again, I'm not a firefighter, but I'm assuming that a grass fire is quite a bit easier to deal with than a forest fire just because the Got height it. of the flames. So it wouldn't engulf you in the same way. Okay. You'd be okay. You'd yeah, just yeah. jump over it. Yeah. Um, now... My uh, my whole opinion with evacuation, of course, they try to evacuate you really early because they, they're covering their own butts. They don't want people to die. You know, they're telling people to get out of there. 
Um, but they also don't own that land. and They, all, they yeah. can't make you leave. It's a mandatory evacuation, but they can't make you leave. Now, once you leave, they can prevent you from coming back in. And on my way up, I actually called the sheriff to ask about road closures. He said that all the roads were closed and I would not be allowed to go into Stony Ford. And I said, but I live there. I have my ID. He's like, no, we will not l- allow you in. And I'm like, okay, thank you. So how'd you get it? I just went past the roadblocks because no one was manning them. <laughs> oh, so they just set up like they just set up roadblocks and were like, mm-hmm. "This is the road." Like, this yeah, is- I guess at at one point people were manning them because some locals actually got turned around. They had left town and then tried to come back, and people did get turned around. But luckily, I wasn't one of them. I just went got right it. around those roadblocks. <laughs> so, but yeah, the sheriff was pretty insistent that was I was that kind of ominous. Like, yeah, a little bit, especially like- when I first pulled into town because. Um, you know, this, this little hill, there's just like a, I don't want to say a mountain range, just like a hill range above my parents' house. And you could just see the glow of the flames, you know, coming up over the, the range. And it was just smoke and just like red. And, you know, you could you could see like the, um, I guess, the reflection of the flames off the smoke. And then oh later God. that night, it crested the hill. And then you could actually see the flames. Like literally coming at you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty close, within seven miles about. You can see it within seven miles. Yeah, yeah. What was sucking that air like? Uh, really rough. Well, I woke up every morning feeling like I had a cold. It was just like uh, my throat, like all phlegmy, everything is terrible. Yeah. Um, I wore a mask outside when I went out to like check the bees. Um, but the mask isn't very comfortable, so I kept taking it off and breathing the air, and it wasn't good. It wasn't ideal. Yeah, yeah. What's the impact on the bees? Uh, not much. So the bees are just like we're cool. We're bees. They're fine. Yeah. So the fire came within a quarter mile of one of my yards. Um, so I'm very glad they stopped it there because I could have lost the whole yard, and that would have. What's a yard? Uh, it's just a spot where you have a bunch of beehives all together. Oh, okay. So if if the fire had swept through that bee yard, it would have burned up all you know fifty of the hives that were there, which I would have been very sad about. Um, but no, we didn't lose any bees, and they so were all flying. Can I, can I ask you do you do you have like um do you have like crop insurance for the bees no. or anything like that? No, Mm-mm. nothing. So if they burned up, they would have burned up. Got it. Yeah. Got it. But um. Yeah, the, the bees are out flying and trying to forage. I was watching them as they were coming back into the beehive, and I didn't see any pollen on their legs, so I don't think they were finding much forage out there, but they were trying. Um, it didn't seem to affect their activity. It's just the availability of forage at the time. When when our group went up there, you um, you sort of used smoke to like confuse them so they wouldn't like sting you. Yeah, but you have to blow it right on them. You have to actually have a smoker in your hand and really be blowing the smoke onto the bees. Okay. The the smoke in the atmosphere doesn't do anything to calm them. Really? Yeah. So they're good. They just they're sun faced. Yeah, yeah, very very unfazed. They're tough little critters. Cool. They've been through worse than a forest fire. So when did you call? Like when did you decide? Like or when did you sort of realize? Like hey, I think we're safe and you. Can, you know, so I saw you at the gym yesterday. Right. There's a fire map, and it, it's showing where the hot spots are with the fire and all the spots that are close to Stony Ford, which was just directly south. And then the fire was heading just a little east, a little bit east around the town. Those were the two spots that were um, of concern, and they cooled off according to the fire map. And um, it looked very much like that old burn. Once the fire hit the old burn, it just it just, it just quit. Stopped. Yeah, it stopped advancing, and then it started cooling down. And so at that point, I was very comfortable that the ranch was no longer in danger. So then I came back down. And your parents looked around. They're like, hey, I think we're good, too. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. 
Um, for folks like your parents who sort of own the ranch and live there and kind of like have been there forever, you know, they'll split their time between Stony Ford and Sacramento. Right. When would like time to call it quits be like, or, or are there people, or, you know, or maybe even a, a broader question, right? There's, there's people up there, I'm sure that just feel totally, just totally connected to their homestead, right? That's their home. Yeah. And they're not yeah. going to leave. Um, yeah. My parents, I'm a little concerned about if a fire really, really came down because... It's like, go down with the ship? Uh, yeah. I don't know at what point they would leave. And I wouldn't leave until my parents left. So I'm kind of on the hook. Like, if my parents are there, I'm going to stay there. I'm not going to leave. Um, I have no idea how how much we would defend it before we would, we would decide to leave. But... Um, like I said, the property is very defensible, the way everything's set up. Um, fire is always kind of on the back of everyone's minds. So um, Up there? Yeah, up there. Because it is a very dry climate, and we've had fires before, and so everyone kind of thinks about it. And um, our property was already pretty well cleared. We just did you know, more clearing to prepare for this one. I do believe that we would be able to defend the property almost in any scenario. I can't really imagine a scenario where we wouldn't be able to defend it just because we don't have tall trees anywhere near the house. So it would just be a grass fire you'd have to deal with at that point. Um, Yeah, and and we have equipment, and we can borrow equipment from the neighbors to doze lines and uh, really do a lot of clearing if we needed to, so. Yeah, we'd yeah. probably stay and fight till the bitter end. That's the answer. <laughs> <laughs> What's um, well, you know, just dozing these lines. You just like put the put the blade of the dozer in the in mm-hmm. the ground and just cut a line through the dirt. Yeah, and I have some pictures for you, so you can post them with the podcasting. Okay. Maybe, but yeah, it just is. You just do that around your property. Fire lines, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the idea being there that the fire would get up to, up to that your line, to and it. then not as long as there's over. no wind, it wouldn't jump over. Got but it. a lot of it depends on the wind. Got it, got it, oh. got it. Um, well, God, I mean, I guess you guys got off the hook. Yeah. Good. Thank goodness. I don't want to fight a fire. I'm not a firefighter. <laughs> <laughs> I want nothing to do with it. No, I'll bet. I'll bet. Yeah, um, yeah I just, I, you know, the stuff you were, you were posting just seemed so ominous, you know. It's mm-hmm. just like so, like, it seemed pretty ominous down here. And I was I'm sure feeling. sure it wasn't even like a, like a fraction of what you went through. Yes, I was feeling very ominous at that moment. I was... Yeah, I was worried. I was I was legitimately worried. So I kept posting stuff. Hey, shout out to Zach Falcons for Heck yeah. So when I called Zach, I we we were getting to the point where we really thought that fire was gonna come down the hill. And um, you know, I, I told my dad, I'm like, you know, there's there's lots of people that are willing to come up, you know, several people at that point had volunteered. Um, but you know, it, it's good to have somebody that you know, knows how to run equipment, knows, and Zach's actually, um, he's worked on fires before. Um, so he, he I already, had no idea. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's just, he's one of those good old country boys. Like, yeah, you know, I, I could go up there, but I'd probably do more harm than good. He's got, just get in the way. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Some people probably would get in the way. Um, but then the, the other thing's just liability. Like, how bad would it be if I invited or not invited, but, you know, I had three people coming up and they burned to death. Yeah. (laughs) Or got hurt, you know, just, yeah. Yeah. Or or their car got destroyed. Um, that would just be terrible. Like I I only want to invite somebody up there like last, like, you know, last ditch. Yeah. Whose character you trust. And, you know, yeah. So it's just, he was the only one that I was like, okay, well, listen, I don't know if you'll even be able to make it because the roads are technically closed. They weren't manned when I went by. 
I don't know if they're going to be manned or not. And he's like, yeah, I'm on my way. So he just comes zooming up there, uh, went the long way around because I was pretty sure the road between Maxwell and Stony Ford would be closed, but the, but, and they both were closed, but I thought he would have an easier time maybe going the long way around. Like maybe that one would be less likely to be manned. So he went the long way around, got up to our ranch like at midnight, um, maybe 11. It was late. But, it, yeah, just went went past the roadblocks and ready to help. And then the next day just helped us clear a bunch and um, continue setting up the water systems and the pumps and everything from the creek. So, but, yeah, such a such a good friend. I'm so glad he came yeah. up. Made me feel a lot better just, like, having another pair of hands on deck in case something went down. You know, the like, these random things will happen and they kind of make you thankful for the friends that you have, right? Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, and this isn't nowhere near what, what you guys went through, but, uh, you know, something that we recently went through is we had, like, the electricity go out in the back panel in the kitchen. So the the stove was, was still on, but the fridge had to be hooked up to um, an extension cord, mm-hmm. which was really ugly. And then the microwave and the dishwasher were out all the appliance in the background. And it was just like, like it wasn't that inconvenient until we went into like month two with it. And it's just like really like the toll of it started adding up. Yeah. Um, but I had no less than four friends who were like IBW electricians be like, yeah. Hey, like I'll come, I'll come on up and take a look. And, you know, shout out to Rob Roy for um, spending probably close to 30 hours over two months, yeah. like diagnosing, diagnosing this thing for me. He opened up like every electrical outlet in this house and was like, "All right, let's we're gonna find the loose connection here somewhere." Yeah. Uh, we jumped into the we jumped into the attic. Um, he had me like mapping stuff out in the attic, and then we eventually found there was that that outlet right behind you. That one was loose, and then oh the gosh. one the one to the left of the stove were loose like together in conjunction, and so they were both like short circuiting. So when he like fudged with them both like together the like the power was restored just like magically down, came down, back the, on. Yeah, down the line but oh you know that was yeah it was probably like 35 hours in you know and he was um god he was here till three o'clock that morning dang you know just working away that's so nice you know and i'm just buying him beer and feeding him pizza and kind of you know whatever he needs but i can't yeah. really help him you know yeah. he's like an ibw electrician right that's um, so nice yeah mitchell torres was like hey i'll come take a look yeah. You know, um, and then a couple others, you know, some through the podcast and others just friends were just like, hey, you know, like, we'll we'll get you straightened out. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, God, I mean. Yeah, you know who your friends are in times like that. Yeah, you know who sure. your friends are in times, in times yeah. like that, right? And I, talk about I had, social capital. I like, had so many people at the gym offer to like, you know, so many people that texted me and, you know, people would find out gradually too. Not everybody found out right that same day that that was happening. But so many people that were like, I have a truck. I can help you move stuff. I know somebody that has a piece of equipment if you need it. And just, I just want to say like, thank you so much to everybody that, you know, offered to help. And, um, yeah, a lot of people offered to help. And mostly by the time all those offers came rolling in, that's when I was kind of past the point where I like really thought we were in imminent danger. Um, because it was just that first day. It was really Saturday that, that my dad was really worried and that I was yeah, really Yeah, even your text message seemed kind of like freaked out. I was really worried. Um, but once I got through Saturday, then it, it just kind of it got less and less from there that I was worried. So, But now, like, there were so many people who, who offered to help and texted me and just, you know, people that kept checking in and prayers and thinking of you and all that stuff. I just really so appreciate cool. it. Yeah. feel very loved. <laughs> <laughs> and I will get you back. 
Huh? And now we have you back. Yeah, exactly. Thank goodness. And now I owe Zach basically. <laughs> like now, if he needs help moving, if he needs help with anything, now I'm on the hook. Yeah, you got to help him move twice. <laughs> Heck yeah! <laughs> Shout out to Amir. He's helped me move three times. Oh my gosh! Three times. That's a good friend right there. Yeah. One time I was so hungover, I told him to come at eight, and I was like, I was like in the type of hungover sleep that would have gone till two. <laughs> And he's like pounding on my door and he's like, he's like, Jabron, I know you're in there. I see your car. You said, hey, it's time to move. Let's go, man. I'm talking about motivator. I'm no. Like, fuck. Amir's a good one. He's, fuck, he's the best friend. He's a good one. Um, so, hey, um, what kind of equipment were you guys using aside from the tractor and stuff? Um, so Hester Ranch, they loaned us their dozer. So Tim ran the dozer and cut all those lines. Um, and... The forklift, uh, forklifts are really handy for pulling out trees because you just hook a chain to the, you know, the object and then hook it to the forklift and forklifts just have amazing towing ability and lifting ability. You just pull the tree out by its roots? Uh, sure. So the, the one... The, you have to like cut the tree first we, and then... We cut this one because it was a big one, but we've pulled out things before where you just, you just wrap the chain around the base of the shrub or the tree and then wrap it around the forklift and then lift and it just pulls it. Yeah, pulls it right out, roots and everything. Oh, that's so cool. So, um, yeah, forklifts are great for de-shrubbing, uh, deforesting your yard. So, uh, you know, I was hoping you could provide some insight into this. Um, and if this isn't sort of like your area, your wheelhouse, that's fine. But I've been reading sort of like some back and forth on like, you know, California's like forestry regulations making it, dif- you know, making it difficult over time to defend your space and making it difficult to clear shrub. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts on that? So um, I can't pretend to be an expert because I have no idea. I just hear what people say. I, right. I, I probably have the same level of knowledge on this that you do. But um, from what I understand, there's a lot of laws that prevent uh, clearing out dead brush, underbrush, and I think a lot of that has to do with it being a natural habitat for certain species. And uh, so I, I can understand that. Maybe you don't want to clear all of it out, but definitely it needs to be cleaned out a lot more than it is. Right. And my aunt and uncle, one of them, one pair of them, they live uh, up in the forest. And I'll, when I drive up there to visit them and I'm looking out into the forest, I mean, you see dead trees falling over out in the forest and you know, they're not being picked up. They're just, they, they litter the forest floor and it's just excellent kindling for a forest fire. So it should be cleaned up. And I, I don't know why it's not. I, I believe some of it's the laws that prevent it. Um, I don't know what, uh, monetary value could be gained from cleaning that out. I don't know if you could like chip that into paper or I don't, I don't know. If you'd biomass to an incinerator and use it to produce energy. Yeah. Well, there you go. So if if there's a company willing to go in there and clean out the dead stuff, then I think they absolutely should be able to. And maybe just maybe just leave some of it for the owls or whoever else, whatever else nests. Got it. it. Got it. But nothing's like directly affected you all since you're mostly like a grass grassy type of area i mean it's it still affects us because we're right on the edge of the forest it's just my ranch in particular is really well deforested got it um but we do live you know within arm's reach of the mendocino national forest so um forest management matters to me yeah (laughs) (laughs) it does but i i just don't know enough about it yeah but from what i understand we could do a better job managing the forest got it got it got it so we have you back I'm back. You're back. Last time I was here with my other hoe, my hoe and kimono. <laughs> yeah, Liz is popular, by the way. 
Heck yeah. Yeah. Heck yeah, like she her. is. People like her. They should. Um, thanks for teaching that class while I was away, by the way. Oh, yeah. No problem. It's my first class I've ever taught. Yeah, the, how'd you feel? Good. Um, got a little nervous at first, but, you know, that went away and um, just showed a move that I thought they could, you know, benefit from and did the warm-ups the way that I would like if, you know, if I were leading my own class, how I would do them. So did things probably a little different, but it was fun. Yeah. My big thing with the warm-ups is, like, I'm just trying to, like, for the most part, have them do something different every week. There you go. Because I feel like other, like if they get stale, it's kind of like, uh, yeah. you know, like I get so tired of some of these warm-ups. It's like, oh, hip escape, front hip escape, penetration. Yep. Man, I've been doing that for 10 years. Yeah. Literally 10 years. Yeah. You know, it's like a bad movie. Yeah. You know, it's like. So I'm having them do like cartwheels and stuff, which I, th- I actually feel like cartwheels are super relevant to jujitsu. How so? Um, when you're like in half guard and you're standing or you're like standing up and they someone puts up that knee shield, like that top knee shield to keep you from passing, and you can just kind of stuff it and kind of cartwheel over that side mm, and pass okay. the guard. Um, you can also like cartwheel into a Kimura from open guard. Yeah. Um, you can also Brock, – uh, Brock Lesnar has – has this going on too he there's a clip of him doing this like when someone's got a single leg on you you can kind of cartwheel and pendulum that leg under their armpit and kind of flip them over with it Mm. so like as a movement i think it's actually like kind of like really useful in jujitsu and it's also kind of fun yeah. You know, I have like my kids in the kids' classes do cartwheels, and they're like, "Look, look!" Yeah, you know, like the parents are all taking pictures. They're like, "Oh, he's doing cartwheels." I think it's it's good for coordination and just that whole idea of being upside down, because that was something that I struggled with when I first did jujitsu when I first started. Is um, you're just like upside down sometimes, and it's almost like tough to get your bearings. Mm-hmm. And so, as silly as somersaults and cartwheels might seem, I think it just teaches your brain to be okay with being flipped upside down like that and learning to keep your balance and your, and your bearings. composure, right? Yeah. Your composure. Yeah. 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 I, I got a couple of, I got a couple of big guys. Um, I got a couple of big guys in my classes who are just like, you can like, they don't want to, they don't want to, they don't want to invert. They don't want to be upside down, yep. you know? And, um, one, you know, uh, one guy was like, Hey, so what can I do on my days off? Like what, what else can I do to get better? And <laughs> sit I was, upside down. I was like, yeah, sit upside down and Hey man, no offense. Take this, you know, Take this, it's coming from a loving place, but that, that you know, you get rid of that gut, you'll move a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. like on, like honestly, you could lose yeah. some, you could lose mm-hmm. some weight, you know? And it's like, no, none taken, you know, <laughs> I'm working, yeah. I'm working on it, but you can see we had this, uh, we had like a brand new student today. She signed up today too. So, oh, cool. um, yeah. So welcome aboard, um, Karen. Um, but you know, she's probably like, I don't know, 110 pounds, 110, mm-hmm. 120 pounds, you know, not too much, not too much bigger than Haley. Mm-hmm. And when it was time to do like Granby rolls, like inversions, she was like, oh, like this, like this, like this. And she's doing it perfectly, you know? That's and awesome. Like, yeah, yeah. And then like, um, yeah, like lighter people just tend to do that a little bit better, I think. Yeah. You know? Yeah, speaking of being in jiu-jitsu shape, I'm starting like to lift weights more seriously. Yeah, you look like you're starting to lift weights more seriously. Well, I like just started, so I don't know. <laughs> but um, what are you doing? What kind of program are you on? So uh, Dustin was actually showing me some stuff just yesterday, which was just on the fitness side, just um, you know, kettlebell swings and leg presses and whatever with the machines where you pull like the I don't know my machines pull like this, and then the ones where you pull down. That's a row. 
Yeah, okay, there we go. <laughs> the first one was a row. Oh, what's the second? What's this one? I like just a pull down, like a yeah, lap pull down. Pull down. But yeah. you know, some of those and then I've got my whole weight room now set up in Stony Ford. Um, so I've got a place I can uh really you know, work out. And when I'm by myself, I just do free weights. I'll just um you know, like uh, holding five pound weights and shadow boxing or just um doing like I think these are flies out to the side. Yeah. And uh, all good. And raises out front, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, just hope I didn't mess this up, No, but, um, but yeah, I I like just doing free weights and stuff, but I really need to do squats like for my knees because I'm having a lot of joint problems. I think I I just texted you about this a little, we didn't really talk about it in person, but definitely like having problems with my elbows. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I just need to, did you like pop a bursal sack or what? No, nothing. No, just overuse. I just, they started aching and I didn't think anything of it and I just kept training and it just started aching worse and worse and worse. And I'm like, I just need to stop. Like I can't underhook. I have no strength. Like my elbows are killing me. So I just quit. I haven't trained in like a week and a half. I mean, I, I was at class yesterday. Oh, yeah, but that's I didn't. when we talked to us. You're like, yeah, I got to take a couple weeks off. Yeah, I just have to be even careful. So, like, even in your like couple weeks off or, or whatever, like we were going and you were like going pretty hard. Uh, well, last week I didn't train at all. And then like to or yesterday, I mean, like I, I kind of like I was really trying, you know, when we rolled, of yeah. course. But at the same time, like I was telling you, like, I can't play guard, can't be on my back. And then you were great. You were like stopping me every time I got on my back, which is perfect and reset. Um, but I just have to be really careful. I, I need to give my body a break from that high impact of martial arts and just slow it down and just do some slow controlled just weights um yeah. just well, strengthen my you joints back up. Yeah. Build, up your, build up your muscles and your and your bones mm-hmm. too right yeah and the other thing i've been doing for my neck is just laying like off of a bench and um just going like this these shoulder shrugs these kind of like neck yep. shrugs type and of deal then and then laying yeah. face down and just going up and down like this and then laying face up and going this way and you know never just too any shoulder shrugs yeah and hold weights and shrugs and yeah yeah those are super good for you my neck has been messed up for like six months at least, so it's time what, for me what to. It? What is it? Just, just my muscles, just right here. I think um, I, I don't know. I don't remember anything in particular. Maybe it was like a neck crank. Maybe who's neck cranking you? Uh, I don't know. Well, I don't want to name names. <laughs> 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 but um, sometimes the old crank happens, or or wrestling. You just use your head so much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, for all my for all my jujitsu players out there, like lift your weights. Like first, it's super important. Um, you can't just continue to like just wear your body down forever without like strengthening it, right? And so, like, I feel like the natural adaptation for jujitsu is for your body to kind of become like an octopus, you know, because that's what you're doing, right? So you're twisting stuff in directions that it doesn't belong. Huh. So. Why wouldn't your body let go of some muscle dense, some muscle and bone density to adapt to that, right? Yeah. But that means you're that much more susceptible to injury. Um, so I, I don't know. I really put a pause on my training like a year ago, where I brought it down to like two times a week, you know, which was a big step back for me, or three times a week. Uh, but lifting like four, four to five times a week, and I feel great. You it- know, I don't know, and I am getting older too, so it's like I gotta like. I got, you know, I got to like, you know, conserve myself here. It sure seems to me like you're still progressing in your jiu-jitsu game though. I mean, yeah, I'm not, I'm I not, like it. 
I'm not the one to really judge that because I'm like below you skill wise, but it just seems to me from my uneducated standpoint, I mean, Uh yeah, I I feel like you just, you get better and sharper. And I mean, well, thank you. (laughs) You always ragdoll me with ease, but it seems like you ragdoll me even with more ease now. (laughs) (laughs) You're just so controlled and you're on your back and it just, it doesn't, you know, there's no wasted movement. Like everything just seems super sharp. And thank you. You're, you know, you backed off on your training, but obviously your, your mind is still growing. Yeah. My, you know, it's like, so I like the big thing, the big thing that helped me is like just daydreaming about jujitsu. Yeah. You know, just visualizing, just visualizing it, just thinking about it. You know, what I like to do is whenever I take a role that I usually only do this when I lose to somebody and then I just kind of deconstruct it. I'm like, all right, what are like the elements of their game? Like, what are they doing fundamentally? Right. Like, like when Dustin like ragdolls me or like when Mikey Hothi like beats me at any number of exchanges, I was like, all right, like Mikey, Mikey's like building off that underhook. Like he's always building off that like underhook and he wants to sit up and he just kind of crawls up you like a boa constrictor until you can't, until you can't like resist that. Le- and he's so long, yeah. right? He's so long that you can't resist that lever anymore because his limbs are so long that when he gets his hips up, there's so much torque behind that, right? So, but it's all coming from that underhook. Okay, so with Mikey, I've got a really, I hate to say it, but I got to really like pin him down and make sure that he can't sit up into the underhook. So like with my like I've been really aggressive with Mikey about like okay I gotta pin him down and keep him down because then I know that he won't sit up for the underhook. There you go. You know, and once he gets the underhook, I can do a back step and reorient myself so that I'm doing like in like a kind of like an S mount but in half guard on that side that he has the underhook on, but he can't keep going under. You know, and then I can reorient myself around him again. And so like I just kind of like constantly deconstruct. But he still beats my ass, so I don't I don't know why. <laughs> um, but, you know, like that's one thing that really, really helped me is like whenever I lose, whenever I find myself like that I'm consistently losing something like, all right, what, what are they doing here? And just trying and then like going back to the drawing board and then and then sort of starting again, you know, that's really, really helped me. And then also just taking the step away from taking the step away from it helped, I think, too, because it kind of lets you like put things into context. You know, where it's like, I was just like really aggressive in the past, just like, go, 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 you know? And yeah, I feel like it's, and as a teacher now, it's better to be a little bit more controlled too. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, I can't like be, I can't be smashing some of these like dentists and accountants in my, nope. <laughs> in my classes. You can't you know? be scaring your students off. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Although at the same time, I think it's important to kind of let them know that jujitsu is real and jujitsu works. Like in my position, I feel like I almost can't go too easy with some of these guys because I don't want them to think like, oh, okay, well, I just well, don't want them to think that the girl can't do it. Or, yeah. Like, yeah. Well, well, it's not effective because you it's are a girl. not. Exactly. Yeah. I don't want them to think it's not effective and think like, oh, well, I, you know, I controlled her. She, her jujitsu doesn't work on me. I would not want them to think that. So sometimes I end up being a little bit of a jerk, I think, and submitting these guys and then they're like, oh, you know, and they got... But I don't know. I feel like you have permission to smash a grown man. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) I think it's okay. I mean, let's let's be honest though, right? Like they're like a a full grown, maybe like a hundred and fifty pound man, right? Mm -hmm. Like reasonably, like reasonably athletic, right? Not old. Not old. Yeah. Not like ancient. Not ancient, but like reasonably in shape and reasonably able able bodied. Yep. Like your jujitsu is still going to work, and it's going to work for a long time, but they're 
their ability to not get ragdolled will come quickly with just a little bit of knowledge, right? Yeah. And, and then you're really going to have to work. Yeah. Like, um, especially, God, especially if they're bigger than you, like, they're just going to need to know, like, that much. So you don't, I mean, you'll still get them, but you're not, they're not going to get ragdolled. Yeah. You know, maybe after like six months or a year. It, it depends, though. I mean, um, it depends on the strength, depends on the size, but um, yeah. yeah, and it depends on the level. I mean, there's, there's plenty of, I can't think of any, I mean, I can't think of like white belts that give me trouble, you know, of course. Yeah. Um, I can think of blue belts that give me trouble, but certainly not all of them. I mean, definitely not all of them. And then um, I would like to think that like any purple belt, any like good competent purple belt would be able to, you know, not get ragdolled by me. But once again, that's not necessarily the case because maybe they're just not like the sharpest. Yeah. I feel like, so I feel like getting ragdolled and getting submitted are two different things. I feel yeah. like ragdolled is like you're on top of them. You're like throwing yeah, their like, legs past yeah, the guard. You you're like, you're like running the mount. You're smashing their head. Like you gotta be kind of, you gotta be like, you gotta be like pretty like physically stronger than the other person to ragdoll somebody sometimes, yeah. you know? Well, I find I am physically stronger than a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. But not all of them, obviously. But yeah, jujitsu does work, you know? It does work for smaller people. It does work for weaker people. It works for women, for sure. Like, it works. So I I just, I don't want to go too light and too easy on people that are newer and make them think that it doesn't work. Yeah. I, I had a moment like that where I had like a student where I was just like, I got the side control and I gave him some pressure mm -hmm. with my shoulder. But it was like some pressure. Yeah. Like not like maybe 40%. And he like tapped to that. And I was like, oh, well, I didn't want to be like, don't tap to that. Yeah. And maybe he's like feeling that for the first time. But it's like, oh, dude, you have no, no idea how deep it goes, right? Yeah. Like, wait, well, wait, till, wait till someone puts their knee on your belly, you know, yeah. and like really, and really goes for it. Um, but yeah, it's like I kind of wanted to be like, you jerk, don't tap yet, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'm sure it's tough for you because you're already this big, strong, athletic guy. And even without jiu-jitsu, you'd be, you know, something you? something to deal with for sure. Like, um, you're all, the, all these guys, all these people that you're teaching, if none of you knew any martial arts, you'd still beat them all up because you're like the physically, you know, most intimidating person of that group. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of tough because it's not like you can demonstrate and be like, okay. Yeah, it's not like I'm... Um like 120 pounds. Yeah. Or, yeah. Like if you were a 120 pound guy and you're beating up the big guys, then that'd be something where you could be like, look, you know, but yeah, that's yeah. okay. You're still an excellent teacher and it's still gonna, you know, they believe you, they trust you. Yeah. I think they trust me. I think I have their, I think I have their, their confidence. Um, and for my student who tapped to the shoulder pressure, I think he was extremely tired. Yeah. I think he was extremely, extremely tired. And that was part of it where it's just like, I need to, I'm tapping to like, I just, I need a minute yeah. <laughs> like off to the side, you know? I'm still trying to experiment with like, how long do I keep them? At first, I just had them rolling for 10 minutes and even that was too much. Just push them, just make them do it. I made them roll all 25. Yeah, that's good of you. I made them do five, five. I feel rounds. bad at the end. I nope. feel like, like <laughs> I gotta do it. I had one where I was like, "Dude, are you gonna have a heart attack?" Because he rolled over. He was like red in his face, and he was just kind of like, "Ah, nope." And I was like, "Dude, don't have a heart attack on me here, dude. Don't have a heart attack." I've never seen anybody have a heart attack. By the way, I've never seen that actually happen. But. I guess uh, that class that I taught, there was uh, one odd man out. So um, now they think about it. One person got to rotate through. 
you know, each time. And so, but all of them rolled for 20 minutes. That's so good. I made all of them roll for 20 minutes and yeah. they did great. Yeah. yeah no, the, the group is progressing really nicely. Actually, we're like, <coughs> um, yeah. How about the smoke? Huh? Yeah. My, yeah, my lungs are still not right from all that smoke. Yeah. Yeah. Still um, struggling. You know, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's killing Haley right now. Yeah, it, it, allergies or asthma, or? just whatever is in the air. Yeah, yeah. whatever's in there. We're going to Monterey for the weekend oh, after yeah. we teach. There you go. Yeah, after we teach, um, after I teach on Saturday, we're gonna we're just gonna head to Pacific Grove and stay Saturday and Sunday, and then come back Monday morning. Nice. Um, but yeah, breathe in clean air. You know, we'll take oh. the paddle boards out and just kind of paddle board along oh, the coast. Oh, nice. Or whatever. That's it's super nice out there. I've yeah, I'm tempted to bounce to the coast, but th- this weekend I also feel like I should try to get some light training in. <laughs> yeah. So. Have you ever um you ever been to Capitola? Uh, I don't think so. Hmm. Capitola is the beach like 20 minutes south of Santa Cruz. Santa hmm. Cruz is like, um, Santa Cruz is really heavy pounding surf, oh. like really heavy pounding surf. Yeah. Um, great to just go watch. You can just go to Steamer Lane on a big day in the winter and just watch like some of the world's most competent surfers like tackling like 18 foot waves on any given day. It's so cool. Um, but Capitola in the summer is just like, you could surf it without his wetsuit. It's like totally nice. It's like the water's actually very clear. We should go. We should all go sometime. Because I, I surfed, I think, two years ago now with you, right? Yeah. That was a long time. Um, that was a long time ago. Yeah, I want to do it again. And I'm so afraid of the ocean. I'm so deeply afraid of drowning, which is silly because I'm a very strong swimmer. But the ocean is such a scary thing. It's not like a swimming pool. And, I mean, you can get sucked out and you can't do anything. And um, I'm not afraid of the creatures in the ocean. I'm just afraid of the tide. Uh, but it, it's a fear that I want to conquer. Like, I got to get out there anyway. So yeah, we got to um, go do it. Yeah, water confidence is its own thing, right? Uh-huh. Um, typically, yeah, typically, I mean, I'm sure you'd be able to conquer it. Usually, just you just have to, like, keep everything in context, right? Like, very, I've never, I don't know, I've, I surfed for so long. I've never seen anybody, like, really in trouble. Like not even once, especially on a surfboard, you know, because mm. if you really get in trouble, you just point that thing to shore and let some white water take you home. Yeah. Like um, my sister used to do this thing where she would, you know, um, you know, San Diego. Mm-hmm. So she would um, go to the children's pool in La Jolla, which is, by the way, the, the La Jolla children's pool is like one of the most controversial political issues in San Diego. Oh, really? Oh, my God. Um, so the... They, what they did was like they built a seawall in the shape of a U mm-hmm. out in front of this cove. Okay. So the seawall takes the waves. And what's left over, like very little, very gentle wave energy kind of wraps around the U and kind of makes just like a little little splishy splash. But it like totally like just makes it basically like a pool almost, you know? Okay. Um, so it's the children's, you know, it's the children's cove, right? Correct. So, I don't know, any number of years ago, probably like 15 years ago now, you know, I mean, this has been going on since I was a kid. Like, this family of seals showed up, and they're like, hey, guess what? It's our swimming cove now. Oh, no. <laughs> and, like, literally half of San Diego is like, you know, well, that is the one spot for kids. Uh, and the other half is like, you 
what are you with the seals were here first it's yeah. there you know it's yeah. their habitat uh, you know and then like people are like well the seals are just shark bait so when we have all those shark attacks you oh know? yeah and then there's like been people like pestering the seals and harassing the seals and mm -hmm. i guess there's some like stupid rule about like if the seals leave for long enough then like the people can come back and that has happened where there's been these like windows you know and then there's it's like the like the guard of the perpetual flame where people are trying to like always keep people there so that the seals won't come back but inevitably they do and, every, and like it it's just like every time the seals come back every year it just reignites the whole debate and you're not allowed to scare them away you you're not allowed to, like you can't you're not allowed to scare them away you're not allowed to harass them and if you do like all the animal lovers will call you like a like a you know like a big fat jerk you know isn't it funny that almost every one of those animal lovers probably ate a turkey sandwich that day yeah like <laughs> it's so relative like no those seals do attract sharks yeah they absolutely attract. i have thought they're like about a that big sandwich on they're like a big yeah. sandwich for a shark you know i actually don't care it's, it's so much that i just think the issue is super funny but yeah my sister used to run down there mm -hmm. my sister used to run down there and she would swim in open ocean like because the way the way that the the, co the the coast is kind of like this uh-huh so she would just jump in the water, no fins, you know, just a pair of goggles and swim to the Scripps Pier, which is like a mile and a half away in the, in the open ocean. Dang. Um, I tried to do the swim one time with her and I couldn't even, like, the water's murky. You can't see. It's going like this. That's when I feel you could drown. Yeah. Honestly, you know. And then her boyfriend would meet her there with a pair of running shoes and then she would, like, run five miles home. She is seriously fit. What a beast. She's a, she's a super beast. Wow. She's a super beast. But no, you would do so well surfing. We should all go again. Yeah, I want to. You would do so, so well. I, I think the second time, would I'd do a lot better than the first, for sure. Yeah. I And I got a little cold and cranky, too. Like, the wetsuit was not enough, and I just easily get cold and cranky. I should have kept moving. Yeah, it's cold up here. I shouldn't have taken a break, because no. I, I took a break, and then I was like, I'm too cold to go back in. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I should have kept going with it. Yeah, I want to try it again. Hey, so you're competing... Uh, September 8th in Reno, Fight to Win. Okay. I'm so happy Seth gave me a chance to be on the card in Sacramento, and I'm so happy that he invited me back to Reno. I'm super uh, stoked about it. Um, and then the weekend after, Liz and Dustin and I were just talking about flying to New York and doing the Nogi um, Pan Ams. Again? Yeah, because yeah, we did it last year. Um, yeah, and I would really like to go. I feel like this is my chance to win it. Um, I feel like I could win it. I have no idea who else is going to sign up. But um, I should have a pretty good purple belt division. There's there's a lot of um, – there's several heavy uh, heavyweight <clears> – <throat> women's heavyweight purple belt, which is uh, – let's see. Nogi women's heavyweight is 169, um, 169 pounds. But um, there's uh, – Alex Coleman is out there. Megan Grandotti's out there, and these are girls that like I really, really want more chances against, and I want to, I want to beat them. <laughs> I want to get them. Um, and then, of course, Elizabeth Clay. She's a medium heavyweight, but she's the one that I faced at nationals and couldn't make any progress against. And it's just like it's a very motivating. It's always frustrating to lose, but it's also motivating because it's like I, I got to figure out how to get better, and I got to figure out how to beat these people. And they're out there, and I want to be the best, and so I have to figure out how to get past them. Yeah, just have to have to get better. What adjustments are you making? Are you, like, what's well, what are you doing differently? Right now, it's just been it's just been resting. But what I what I want to work on right now is um, when someone has me in close guard, I need to figure out how to stand up and break out of that a lot more effectively, like quicker, more effectively, and with 
without getting wrapped up into an armbar or a triangle or anything. Um, and at our gym, not a lot of people play that position where they just get closed guard and try to submit from there. No, they just stand up and smash you. Right. Um, well, but like if I'm on top, people will try to try to get up or try to, they don't, I can't think of too many people in our gym who will lock their ankles, suck you in, break your posture, try to submit from closed guard. Like it's, you know, because we are an MMA-oriented gym and that's not a very MMA-esque position. So um, I'd like to spend more time, you know, going to Maxwell's and, um, you know, yeah, Maxwell and maybe go visit Casio. I, I still haven't been over there. I need to. But um, but go find some people who play that style because um, – I, I can think of a couple different girls who had that style and I, I had trouble with it. So I need Got to it. work work on that one particular thing. But yeah, I really want to go to uh, Nogi Pans because that's a big title to win and um and I wanna I wanna go get it and whoever's there I wanna get past them and get it. So yeah. And cool. um and I th I think Liz and Dustin both have a really good shot at taking it too. And so I feel like the three of us should definitely go and crush that tournament. Very cool. Um yeah, and after that after that we'll see, but I definitely want to keep signing up for all the all the fight to win stuff. That's a great show. And the fact that you don't have to pay to do it, they pay or he pays you, you know, if you win. Um that's yeah, it's really good. I had a tournament that I was going to do this weekend. Just, you know, a local tournament and of course I ended up paying like $150 to sign up for all the divisions. And then with this injury, I just don't think I should compete. I want to, but I don't think I should. Um, it's on Saturday, I believe. So I think I'm going to have to back out of it. Um, yeah, and that sucks. Like, if I paid money and then I'm not going to be able to compete. That's the first time I've done that. Yeah. Uh, so it's ni nice to get paid to compete rather than pay to compete. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, that's what actually professionalizes the sport. Yeah, and hopefully, like, Hopefully it continues to get more popular that way there's more opportunities and Well, I mean, it'd be nice to see people in the crowd that weren't like directly friends or family of it, right? Yeah. Like that's true fans rather than Yeah, it'd be nice to see true fans as opposed to like everyone's friends and family taking like a jujitsu tax. Mm. You know, because there's only so many times people are gonna come watch you and then also like there's yeah, I mean I, there's something wrong with the economics of it if if it's only, and it's the same with like amateur, amateur and like low level pro MMA. It's like, oh God, you got to watch someone get beat up in front of their mother. Yeah. You know, with with like amateur MMA, it's like really, it's really dark because someone will sometimes get their ass beat like straight up in front of their mom and sister. Yeah. It's just like, damn, dude, why'd you have to beat him down so bad in front of uh, mom, you know? But it's like, that's what it is. It's just everyone's family in the crowd and they're just kind of supporting their supporting their lost souls in any way they can you know um <laughs> as opposed to having like actual fans in the crowd right yeah um that's yeah i don't know like i i feel like jujitsu has a way to go in terms of in terms of being a product for mass consumption yeah you know um first of all you probably have to get rid of the gi you know, if you want people to watch, like if you like, if you want to watch, if you want, if you wanted people to watch jujitsu on TV, you're gonna have to get rid of the gi. I don't know. Some people think it's cool though, because to to a lot of people, it symbolizes that tradition and that um, professionalism is probably the wrong word, but just that that old school, like these are martial artists. Like to a lot of people, that's what the gi represents. And so I think 
there's uh, a market for people competing in the gi. But well, I understand. It'd be, the, it'd be the first one on TV. Yeah, but I, I understand what you mean about no gi's a little more appealing to watch in some ways because it feels more like a fight. Well, I mean, you can actually see the you can actually see the the bodies moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Like I see the gi and I see like stalling. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I like like the gi is a vehicle for stalling if you're three points up and kind of yeah if you're three points up and just kind of um got eight you know forty seconds so like oh let me jump yeah. in close guard grab a hold of gi grips under the armpits and just hey this is good yeah. you know well um, I like what Seth has done with um no points and he seems to really have those judges score it based on aggression and submission attempts rather than um rather yeah, than points yeah i really like that i appreciate it and i think those judges should feel <clears throat> more than free to heavily penalize stalling in their decisions yeah yeah no i mean that that's actually good like he's doing a really good job with that like i feel like the 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 points based system isn't good isn't well you kind of need points for tv but you know i almost think about it like competition surfing mm-hmm like competition surfing is the dumbest idea ever and they do it every year you know like not everyone like the the waves don't roll in equally over time Mm -hmm. you know um the essence of surfing as like an expression of someone's soul um is not really broken like they do these heats where it's like 20 minutes at a time where like you go out you surf for like three hours yeah you know um i think vans does this really cool thing where it's just like all right all you pro surfers all you pro surfers, you guys, we've reserved this spot of beach for you on this epic day. Mm-hmm. All of you fuckers, get out there and surf your balls off for like three hours, and we're gonna drone the whole thing. And whoever's got the coolest session, nice. we're just kind of gonna like, we're just kind of gonna decide whoever had the coolest session. It's not even gonna be really competitive, but we'll be giving out like style points for like you had like a lot of soul, you got the biggest wave, and then just kind of everyone just kind of yeah. jam sessions it. You know, I kind of like that. Yeah, like that actually speaks to the soul and essence of surfing, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, or, Oh my God, what, like what Lord Irving did with the BJJ Kumite. I don't know what that, he just had like 22 brown belts. He had, sorry, he had 11 brown belts just kind of go no points, no submission, no time limit, you know? So some of these matches were like an hour and a half. Oh. Um, but then he just like cut up, cut up the video and just showed the most exciting parts. And it's amazing. Hmm. It's like an amazing product. Yeah. You know? Um, I love jujitsu, but man, like watching, watching some of these matches, you know, especially in the game, it's like, oh my god, like, you know, like and I'm, I try to bring Haley, and she's just like, what? I don't know what I'm looking at. Yeah, you know, it's a long way to go, but um, God, I'm so glad we have people like you, kind of like being the trailblazers, you know, because like we will get there one day. Yeah, my dad. Um, so after after I competed at Fight to Win in Sacramento, I went and sat with my parents for a little bit, and my dad. Uh, turns to me and he says, uh, "Okay, Joy, tell me what's going on now, because I have no idea." Yeah, he's like, "I know you won, but I don't really know how and why." And and he's pointing at the stage and he's saying, "Like, what are these guys doing right now?" So, I sat there and I commentated for my folks for probably six matches, and it was really funny because there were people at the neighboring tables that were leaning over to listen to my comment, you know, other parents yeah, that d- yeah. had no idea what was happening. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, see, that's where the economics of it breaks down for me. Cause it's at that point, it's just like an, I know somebody jujitsu tax. Yeah. Yeah. I think there is 
<clears throat> excuse me, a huge market for if you were to stream it and be able to stream it and have really good commentators. And Fight to Win, I, I, I think their commentating is okay. They could probably do a little better as far as making it more exciting because like when like I explaining it. Mm-hmm, when I was watching my match uh, on video later, they're You're like, what the heck are these guys saying? Well, they're talking and they, they are talking about my match, but they're also chit chatting a little back and forth. Yeah. And it, it could be better to make it more exciting saying, you know, oh, she, she's going for this and now she's going for that. And you, you know, just get, get a little more excitement into it. A little more hype. Yeah. A little, a little more hype. hype. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um Yeah, you know, it just it just um I just feel like it's not fully there yet as a product. And you know, here's another thing that it, let me get off by to win, let me let me rag on IBJJF now. Mm-hmm. Um they're selling medals. What? They're selling medals. They what are just mean? selling those medals. What do you mean? Where it's like, hey, you want you next time next time like Pan Am's rolls around. Uh, I'm going to divide the number of competitors by the number of medals. Oh, well, okay, so if you're talking about small divisions. Yeah, they're selling medals. Small divisions and there's two third places. There's two the, third there's the two, two third places is wrong. They should make people fight for wrestle the third, off. For yeah. The, yeah. No, but grapple off for that third place. Yeah. Absolutely. I agree with that. No, 100%. but they're selling they're selling those two third medals. But and both those people say, "Oh, I'm a third medalist at the worlds, you know." Only That's, chumps say that. I would never brag about a third place medal. I guarantee you those people are out there. Yeah. You know, they're just yeah. like absolutely like selling prestige. Yeah. You know. Selling prestige, yeah, I understand your point on that. But um, you know, for full, for example, for like men that are in a small weight class, like little, you know, littler guys, I guarantee you they don't have they don't have big divisions. They have a very small division, so it's not it's not their fault if there's only three of them and all three of them are no, going to get, get a medal. Um, and, and as far as that goes, I think it's just a matter of time and the sport growing and more people coming into it. Um, I mean, if if it's so easy to surf in there, you know, and pick up golds, then people are going to start doing it, and then well, people are doing it. Yeah, and then I mean, people are doing it, right? But like, then other people, people who, catch wind. Like, well, why is this guy got all these gold medals? I'm just as good as him, and he's out there picking up these golds, so I'm going to sign up too. And you know, the the sport needs to grow for sure. Small divisions are terrible. Yeah, I mean, the small divisions should just be like, hey, why don't we? I mean, this is. You know, especially because they seem clustered around like the smaller weight classes. Where, like, why don't we all just consolidate this and have like an actual bracket? Well, but then you know, but then it, it in the long run, that's not a good strategy because then it it just discourages people in those divisions from ever wanting to sign up. Like the women's division for a long time, it's just all the women are going to be put together. But then there's some Amazon like myself who steps in there. You know, I'm I'm five foot eleven. Didn't you get and, beat by a significantly smaller girl though when you went to national so? Uh, sh- no, no, I didn't. That girl who like triangled you and yeah, and, no, and we're the, we're the you. same weight. She she looked smaller than you. She's shorter than me, but she's she looks way smaller than you on camera. She's she's way she's way shorter. She's a little tank, you know. She's okay. short. She's built. Got it. You know. Um, no, we're the same weight. I mean, I made weight. She probably was a few pounds lighter. I don't know how close she was on weight. I was close. You know, I just made it. Yeah. But, um, no, I mean, we're the same weight class. It's just, I got hell skinny for that competition. Had to. Um, uh, but no, that's not to say I've never been beat by a smaller girl. Like for sure. Yeah. Like I'm not sure it would discourage people as much as like, Hey, I'll tell you what, like, let's say for argument's sake, right? Like one, one fifteen. 
115, 120, and 125 are now consolidated into one into like one weight bracket because we just didn't get enough, and it's going to be like nine people instead of three in each. Mm-hmm. But like somehow, like a 115 pounder comes in and wins that that division. That's insanely exciting. So there, there's a reason the absolute division exists, and I think the absolute division is wonderful, and I think everybody should do it. But that's also me as a big old Amazon that's saying that you know, for no. the for the small girls. I mean, I'm sure a lot of them are just it's simply the risk of injury, you know. Um, and I, I can understand that not wanting to get in there, being, being worried about getting injured. Um, I, I want to see more women get into the sport and men, you know, everybody, but, uh, that requires divisions where people feel like they have a fair shot, like physically they're well matched with people and they can really showcase their skills. And it's just going to take time to grow those divisions. I totally disagree. I don't think there's a huge risk of injury in like wrestling someone like 10 pounds heavier than you. I just don't like the, you know, it's not a very injury prone sport. De- depends what the weight difference is. You know, if it was like MMA and someone's going to get on top of you and smash you, I get that. But, um, you know, it's like some, like some of these smaller weight classes, like if you consolidate two or three weight classes, I guess you can, you could say prone to injury. You could say, I'm just not as excited to compete because I'm not going to get a medal anymore. Depends what the weight difference is. And it depends what kind of injury you're talking about, because for a, somebody that has like an inverting style in inverts and then get stacked and smashed hard by somebody who has 20 pounds on them, they could really hurt your back. And that's not an injury that you'll maybe, it's not like you have to get carried off the mat, but you, now you're not going to be able to train for months and it might affect you for a year. I mean, people people get injured. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to adjust your style, right? Like, you don't invert under someone 20 pounds heavier than you. For mm-hmm. sure, you'd have to adjust your style. But what if that's somebody's whole game is, you know, they're, they're an inverting player, then I can understand then they have why. an incomplete game. Yeah, <laughs> they I have agree. an incomplete game. Right? I I agree, but what I'm saying is, if you don't have the divisions, it does discourage people from signing up, and it's it just it's a chicken or the egg problem. You know, what do you have first? Do you just have the divisions and expect the people to come, or do you wait till there's enough people and then have the divisions? It's I I think it's just it's a little bit of both. You know. Yeah, I mean, so in wrestling, they kind of just make people wrestle together. Mm. You know, and at um, small tournaments, that happens. Um, they they throw everybody together at small tournaments. Yeah. Um, also, wrestling, you're not messing with people's joints, so I I see an argument there, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're not like chicken winging people's joints and stuff. So I see an argument there, like from like I guess what you were saying, right? From a safety standpoint. Yeah. Um, but man, you know, it's so funny. It's like I see these different competitions, and there's like, there's like cool things that you can do in each heart. Like so. In wrestling, they do have those that third place wrestle off, mm-hmm. and that third place, like that person who like won their last match for third place, kind of redeems himself in the consolation mm-hmm. bracket. Yep. And I mean, like those matches are like as exciting or more exciting than like the finals. Oh yeah. You know, for like sure. those because because those guys like because the the way the math of the consolation bracket works is that like you actually wrestle like at least one more match than people in the championship bracket. So those guys are just like dog tired. Yeah. You know? Uh-huh. And they're coming in for like one last match to yep. try and redeem themselves. It's so exciting. You know, yeah. there's no reason IBJJF shouldn't be doing that. Agreed. I think it's just a time frame problem. Like there's just they they have they have so many divisions, so many matches and they're on such a tight schedule, but they need to just make the time for it. Yeah. They, they should make people grapple yeah. off for that. Or it's like have another mat in the parking lot and be like, all right, we're settling this right now. Oh, I know. I know. Now the two third place medals is terrible. I wish they would change that. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So um, we're coming up on an hour, but I just want to make sure that we kind of went through everything uh, that you wanted to go through, mm-hmm. at least. I think so. 
think we got everything. Just, yeah, my upcoming tournament in Reno or my match in Reno. Yeah. Um, yeah. Other than that, I, I guess, you know, we were just talking about competition and I just want to talk about how valuable of an experience it's been for me to be able to compete. Um, and, and such a, such a growth curve when, I mean, I had no plans of ever competing in jujitsu ever. And it wasn't until Liz drug me into my first tournament, you know, and I I'd stayed up the whole night before I couldn't sleep. It's just this tiny little local tournament. You know, it's grappling, the grappling or no um ugf united grappling federation i think yeah. that's what it was are they still around i have no they idea still do yeah <laughs> maybe maybe not but uh, it's ugf and uh i did not sleep a wink the night before totally like just like heart racing and like sweating and you know the weeks leading up to it i was just like physically very nervous like i was gonna go into this match and i was scared of getting injured which is funny because I'm not scared. Of, I'm not nervous anymore, and I'm not scared of getting injured anymore. But I was very afraid of getting injured. Um, didn't know what ex- didn't know what to expect. I was afraid of losing. Afraid of how I'd have to explain to everybody that I lost. Which of course I've been training for six months, and nobody's going to care if I lose. But at the time, it feels like You've been a big training deal. For Ten years, and no one cares if you lose. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But. Um, and then going going in there, learning how to deal with all my nerves, all my own head game, and learning to like keep keep my composure, stick to my game plan, have faith in the techniques, not just spaz out. Um, it's just, and, and then you know, and, and of course, my first tournament was successful. Um, and then just going on to more tournaments and more tournaments, and every tournament, learning how to deal with my nerves better and better, to the point where now I can truly say like. I don't get nervous when I compete. I mean, a little, but not not anything really. Yeah. Um, I get as nervous to compete as I do to be on this podcast. I mean, you know, it's, it's like a slightly heightened state, but nothing, you know, yeah. n- nothing that you could really call nerves. So, what does make you nervous now? A fire gonna burn up my family. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it takes. That's what it takes. But I, I feel like I, just, I really encourage people to compete. You know, people that are in the martial arts or in anything. I just feel like competition's such a, it's such a character building experience. So I've really enjoyed it. Very cool. Let's leave it on that. Uh, Joy Pendle, uh, one half of the Hose and Kimonos. Yep. Check us out on Instagram, Hose and Kimonos. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thanks. Brought to you by Elk Grove Power Sports. Visit their website today at elkgrovepowersports.com.